Just say next few weeks are a little bit different in terms of the sermon series. So next week, directly after the Courage Conference, we've got um, Kev Riley from Poland will be here. He's going to preach. That's really exciting. Those of you who were here last time will not quickly forget his sermon on Psalm 46. Incredible. So he's going to be preaching on joy and Jesus, which is great. Following week is Fleet, as we just heard, so we'll be at St. Luke's. Following week is Father's Day. We're going to make a bit of a fuss about Father's Day this year. So, um, you know, if you're, if, you're, if you're in contact, if you're in good relationship with your dad, and if you're looking to spend um, some time with him over, over, over that weekend, then please do consider the option of inviting him up, down, here. Um, if, if, if he's not local, feel free to go elsewhere, of course. But we'll, we'll make a bit of a fuss about Father's Day. I'll be looking to uh, preach on the, the Father Heart of God on that Sunday, the 17th. So we do, and then we'll be, we'll be back in on the 24th with the Song of Solomon series. Um, is there anything I'm doing wrong here that I, that I could back a little bit? Yes. A bit more? Okay. And anything else? I'll just... I'll just, that's fine. Okay, are you guys all right listening to me with the sound effects? Yeah. Okay, cool. All right. <clears throat> We're going to get the scripture up in a moment, and then we'll keep it up there for the whole sermon. Um, but before we actually read today's scripture, I just want I was just having a bit of a walk this morning and just thinking about what, what was occurring in my mind was the fact that for many, many Christians, the whole idea or the reality of the church, they never get through on it. Lots and lots of Christians are really excited about Jesus, but are not really excited about the church. And I was sort of pondering that because we've got this today's sermon is on the church. So I was thinking about that. And I, to be honest, I felt it was the Holy Spirit was really highlighting it into my heart. This whole thing. I've been a Christian now about um, 26 years and um, I've seen a few things. I've got to know lots of different Christians and, and it, it has, I guess, surprised me over the years how many have really liked Jesus but not really liked the church. And I've sort of pondered and tried to reflect on why, why is that? Um, because it's, it's, as we will see today, it's quite a strange sort of situation to find yourself in. And I think it's for one of two reasons. First, it could be experience, like bad experience of the church. You visited a church and Maybe everything they were saying was like everything that made you go, oh no, you know, everything you, everything you don't want to hear. Or, or maybe there was people acting in a certain way that you thought this doesn't look like Jesus. Or maybe you yourself actually were personally hurt in some way by the church and it kind of got into you. And, and you, you sort of as a result, um, I don't know, you're no, longer, you're no longer genuinely motivated about the church. You know, you, pro- you think, well, I think Christians should go to church, so I'll keep going. But you're not really carrying the church in your heart in a, in, a, in a big way. Maybe that's what's going on through bad experience. Or maybe it's through like no experience. Maybe like you're, you're here, but maybe you got saved like online or you listened to a radio. So someone just gave you a tract and, and you were just reading it and, and Jesus saved you. But you've, so you know Jesus, but you've never really, you've never got to know him in the context of the church. It's kind of just like always been me and Jesus. And so it's not been a bad experience, but it's been no experience. So... In that sense, you just think, well, you know, I've heard about churches. I know there's something to do with Christianity, but I'm, I'm cool with Jesus. So it could be experience. Thanks for that, guys. Great stuff. Or it, it could be theology. Like, no one's ever taught you. So you come to church, but no one's ever told you what the church is. Or, or like the center, the center place of the church in God's heart and in God's purpose. You've just never really been told. You've never really um, been 
taught. No one's ever told you that. You know what? God's plan at the beginning was to create humanity that they might, in his image, that they might show his image across the whole, multiply and bring his image across the whole planet. So it's always been God's plan to make himself known through people who reflect his image. And that's what the purpose, one of the purposes of the church, that we, that we multiply and fill the earth looking like Jesus so people can come to know God. Or maybe no one's uh, ever told you the story of the father searching out a bride for his son. That there is, that there is this extraordinary, that the, 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 the revelation of God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And the father's seeking for a bride for his son. And that bride is the church, that we are the bride to be. That, that there's a people who are being beautified and who are so loved. Uh, and, and whom the son is, is preparing to join with. Forever, and that the whole climax of creation is the marriage supper of the Lamb, and, and that's the church coming together, and we will reign with Him forever. Maybe no one's ever told you that, <laughs> or um, maybe no one's ever told you about the body of Christ. That actually, well, Jesus is amazing, but He's gone back to heaven now. So, how, do pe- how, how does He show what He's like? Well, actually, he's, he's, he's joined Himself to the church in this extraordinary way, whereby the church is His body. So, He expresses who He is on the earth. Through his people, the church. I mean, maybe no one's ever told you that. Maybe you don't even, maybe you thought the church was a building. Maybe you never even realized what the church was. You know, the church isn't even a building. You probably gathered that if you come here because it's a school. But it's a, it's a people. And it's not just basically what nice people. What it is, it's a bunch of rotters. It's what the church is. So we heard earlier, rotten old sinners that have basically admitted it. That have admitted it. That have just said, you know what? I'm not righteous. I might be better than Hitler, but I'm not righteous. You know Hitler, poor old Hitler, but not poor old Hitler, but you know what I mean? He's always, he's always Hitler, isn't it? It's like, well, I'm not as bad as Hitler. Well, not many people are, but you know, that doesn't mean you're right. But the, that we're not righteous, you know, that we're, that we're lost. That we're lost. That we're fallen. That we're broken. That we're proud. That we're self-righteous. That we're self-important. These things that aren't necessarily easy to hear but when you actually just come out of the, from hiding and say Do you know what it's true that instead of judgment because of the cross we find mercy we find that that the price the debt incurred by all that bad behavior has been paid at the cross and you realize oh he's not going to judge and kill me actually as i come out of the shadows and say lord i need forgiveness i need mercy i need grace he says to you the, the price has been paid the provision has been made you can know Total forgiveness and new life right now. I mean, that's extraordinary. That's why it's called good news. And actually, actually the, 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 the death and the judgment happens when we stay hiding in the dark. And when we keep trying to show that we can do it and that we're good enough. That's where that goes. That's the dead end. That, that is that lie. That just keep it hidden. Keep on a good show. Keep looking, keep looking you know, the right way and keep saying the right things. And it will be fine. Actually, that's what leads to judgment and death. Because it's a, it's a total insult, it's a total offense to the holiness of God, to the cross of Christ. But when we come out and we say, do you know what? I need forgiveness. And the more, the more good I try and demonstrate, either the worse I become or the more proud I get, just, it's just a mess. And instead of fixing up, you come to the cross. And you lay down your burden of sin and guilt and shame. And as we heard earlier, he clothes you in righteousness as a gift. And he makes you brand new. And you go, what is this? It's the gospel, folks. The church is 
the community of people that have experienced that and want to love and serve Jesus for the rest of their lives because of what he's done for them. That's what the church is. And, 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 and you know what? It's always a bit funny when Christians say, I don't like the church because I'm thinking, well, you're basically saying you don't like yourself. Because if the church is the Christians... Or, I, don't, I love Jesus, but I don't love the church. The problem is, is that actually Jesus associates himself so closely with the church that when a man in the Bible called Saul of Tarsus was persecuting the church and Jesus wants to talk to him about it, he says, why are you persecuting me? Because he associates himself with the church. You think he loves the church like that. And you know, we don't get to give up on the church if Jesus doesn't. If Jesus said, all right, enough of the church, we would be in trouble because we are the church, but let's imagine we weren't for a moment. We could then say, fine, great, okay. But you know what? He hasn't and he won't. There is no plan B. Plan A is the church. And so we don't get to give up on it. But what we must be able to do is be able to find out who she is. Because if I'm a part of her, and this is God's plan for showing the world his image, I need to know about her because she sounds absolutely splendid. And glorious. The church is central. And it's vital that our connection with our local church is deep, is meaningful, is moving ever closer, is more and more uh, fruitful, that we don't allow anything to creep in that makes us hard-hearted or negative or anything like that. Because if that happens, we find ourselves in trouble. And the church isn't perfect yet. That's why the Bible is full of verses like forgive one another, bear with one another, prefer one another. Because you've got to do, you've got to, if you don't learn how to do that, then you remain superficial, separated, out on the edges. As we learn to just learn to speak the truth in love and talk about things and, and, and mend and heal and restore, oh, we build one another up and we grow into what we should look like. Amen? So I want to just encourage you guys. We're going to look at this scripture today. It's probably the hardest passage in Song of Solomon's in the sense that it's, it's kind of cryptic enough. The book, this is the most cryptic part of the book. So let's read it together. Um, chapter 6, and we're going to start at uh, verse 10, I think it is. 10, 11, 12, 13. Who is this who looks down like the dawn, beautiful as the moon, bright as the sun, awesome as an army with banners? I went down to the nut orchard to look at the blossoms of the valley to see whether the vines had budded, whether the pomegranates were in bloom. Before I was aware, my desire set me among the chariots of my kinsman, a prince. Return, return, O Shulamite, return, return, that we may look upon you. Why should you look upon the Shulamite as upon a dance before two armies? That's it. It's kind of mysterious, isn't it? Should we pray? Yeah, we need to pray. We need God's help with this. We do. Father, thank you for these words and um, poetic, descriptive, um, mysterious really. But there's, there's some really, really wonderful stuff in here. So we just want to pray that you'd really help us understand it. Win our hearts. Lord, I want to thank you for the people in this room. And Lord, that your plan is people. Your strategy is people with all of our funny ways, all of our flaws, all of our multi-layered, strangely motivated lives. Your plan is people. You care. You care about us. And Lord, I pray that because of you caring about us so much that you'd really help us to feast on some good stuff today. Amen. Amen. So in case you didn't know, Song of Solomon is like a love poem, love song. 
I, 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 any of you got a um, Bible on your phone? So some, and some of them, they've had like an audio, don't they, where you can listen? Well, I've got like the two extremes, right? So I've got the free Bible app, and it's obviously like not a real human voice. It's kind of like been programmed because some of the, uh, some of the, uh, uh, the way the words are pronounced, it's like, oh gosh, circumcised? What does it mean to be circumcised? Never heard of that. It's really weird. Um, but then I, I, I tapped on another one today, which is like the deluxe version. And Song of Songs, we have background music. <laughs> I was like, wow, I'm there. So um, if you've got E-Sword, listen to Song of Songs on there and it would take you places you've never been. Um, so here we go. Um, where are we? So but Song of Songs is a love, it's a love, it's a love, the collection of love poems about man and a woman passionately in love with each other. Why is it in the Bible? Because it's been received in, 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 as a sense of an allegory um, about the love of, between God and his people, Christ and the church. And so it's been fed on and, and loved in that way for, for, for many, many, many centuries. And, um, and so that's what, we're, that's what we're focusing on. We're saying a few things about relationships on the way, but we're emphasizing and focusing on the relationship between Christ and the church here. So, <clears throat> so let's look. So verse 10. If we could keep the verse up as I look at it, thank you. So, so this is so these are people. The people speaking here are queens and concubines and, and young women. So it's basically other other women who played various roles in ancient Eastern culture. They're, they're praising the one. This is the one, the bride. This is the one Solomon has chosen to be his bride. This is this is others looking on about the church. Other. You know, other, other things that you might have thought God might have chosen. They look on and they say, this is about the church. So they look on and they praised her saying, who is this who looks down like the dawn? Beautiful as the moon, bright as the sun, awesome as an army with banners. So, so they're saying, wow, they, this is a description of the church. This is an absolutely uh, mind-blowing description of what the church is. She looks down like the dawn. Any of you, I don't know if you, any of you like, had something on your mind and you sort of wake up at 3 a.m. or 4 a.m. in the summer and, and the sky is that extraordinary color. Well, you go, is it nighttime or is it daytime, you know? And, and then and, and it kind of it moves from that dark blue to that mauve. And then there's something of a bit of a green in there and you think, this is extraordinary. I woke up because I was worried, you know, about something, but this is actually great, you know? And you say, look out, you look out the window, and there's something, and she looks down like the dawn, and what happens is, is that suddenly everything, everything gets lit up. As the, as the sky changes color, suddenly you can see, you see this, you see that, it starts as silhouettes, and then it takes shape and takes form, and you think, literally everything is being lit up by this dawn. This dawn is bringing everything to light, and you know, this, 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 is, this is the church. This is the church. Look around you. Dare to look around you. This is the church. All right? She's as, she's as beautiful as the moon. She's as bright as the sun. This is the church. Now, you know, Jesus said, you're the light of the world. Did you know that? He said, you are the light of the world. And when he was talking about that, he, said, he was saying, talking about our good works. You know that? He said that in Matthew 5. He says, you're the light of the world. And he says, you know, he says, you mustn't hide your light. 
You mustn't do that. Don't hide your light wherever you do. He wasn't saying you must be the light. He said you are the light of the world. It's who you are. If you're in Christ, it's just who you are. You're not going to make yourself the light of the world. When you know Christ, you know him who is the source of all light. He shines into you. It's just who you become. You become like the moon in the sense that the moon has no light of its own, but it reflects the light of the sun. Okay, And as a result, lights up, lights up when it's a, a full moon night. You can go for a walk over a park or over Hampstead Heath or somewhere, and you think, I can see where I'm walking by the light of the moon. This is extraordinary. But the moon has no light of its own. It's the sun light that it reflects likewise the church we are in fellowship with jesus christ we are in fellowship with god who is light and who dwells in unapproachable light and as a result we reflect the light of christ it's who we are jesus is who you are this isn't a command this is a statement (laughs) it's who you are but don't hide it Think, well, how, don't, how are we not to hide it? Well, if, if you read on in the passage, he says, he says you know, he says, as you, as, you, as you let your light shine, the world will see your good works and will glorify your Father in heaven. Good. Now, sometimes good works can be like a bit, of a, a bit of a bad phrase in church life because we're really trying to emphasize the point. You don't get saved by good works. Okay? You get saved by Christ. Jesus' work on the cross and his resurrection. That's how we get saved. Amen? And we'll never stop saying it and we'll constantly keep bashing it into one another's heads because we can kind of quickly default to, oh, I must do this in order for God to love me or save me. No, because it's so counterintuitive that we might be saved as a gift. So we've got to keep going back there. Okay? We do not get saved by good works. But, brothers and sisters, we do get saved for good works. We have to hammer that one hard as well. Otherwise, you can get into this mindset of thinking, oh, we're just doing some stuff, you know. Or No, no, no. It's our destiny. Good works are our destiny. It's not like, you know, I don't know. Well, I'll do these good works and then, then I can get some me time. Now, once I've done these good works, then I can have some me time. And that will be life to the full. That is worldly. That is a worldly mentality. Just get through this, get through that. Then I've got me time. God has delivered us from that. And we can Christianize it. Me time with God, but me time. It's the same thing. Just add a few verses on, make it look Christian. Now we have to look after our internal world. Of course we do. I'm not talking... As we, as we get into this, I'm not talking about just being busy and crazy busy. No, no, no. But what I'm saying is this, is that there is a rest in good works because it's our destiny. It's not do this and then we'll get that. No, no, no. I was made and saved for this. He, he prepared good works in advance for us that we might walk in them. So when someone says like, you know, when we, when we, when we kind of... Look to encourage one another and stir each other up for good works, whether it's the fleet festival or cat or food bank, or whether it's just like, hey, guys, love your neighbor. Be a good neighbor. Be generous. Be kind out of Christ's love for you. We're encouraging each other into our destiny. This is what we're made for, saved for. This is how people will look at the church and go, wow. And you know, it's actually true. You know, have you noticed how people that are outside of the church, when they see the church looking after the poor, do you know, their attitudes about the church start to change. They go, do you know what? The church is actually doing something here. 
When the church does things as well as says things, it's good that it's important we proclaim Christ. But when the church does things as well, I tell you, people go, you know, wow, maybe there's something going on there. Jesus said they will glorify your Father in heaven. doesn't mean they'll all become Christians, but something about them, they'll go, wow, maybe God is with them. What is that? See, this is very important that we understand this. But it's not just beautiful and bright, it's awesome as an army with banners. So, you know, the old armies where they have their colors and they've been marching up. If any of you seen any films like about the Napoleonic Wars and these other, well, these incredible colors and they all laid out on the, on, the, on the battlefield and they've all marched under certain banners and you go, whoa, look at that, it's awesome. And you think, well, if they're, if they're coming our way, you start, you start quaking in your boots because they're coming towards us. There's something about the church. Walking in a destiny of good works that makes the enemy go, ah. Because you know what? When the, church is doing, when the church is walking in good works, the enemy knows that all of his lies about the church are being powerfully undermined by a compassionate church. By a church that loves, by a church that cares, by a church that's full of grace and truth. The enemy knows all those little nonsenses he's sown into people's hearts and minds. You know that they are being destroyed by the church living out their destiny. It's powerful. Spiritually, it's an incredible thing. That's why Paul says to the Galatians, don't grow weary. Don't don't become weary of doing good. Don't do that at the right time. You will, you will reap a harvest of righteousness. You'll see that it wasn't wasted. You'll see God do incredible things for you. Don't grow weary. So important, brothers and sisters. If we're, if we're serving faithfully, whether it's stuff no one notices, little just things that are just unorganized, you know, just being a blessing to your neighbors. Sometimes you think, oh dear, you know, this is, I'm tired. <laughs> just tired. I'm human. I'm tired. That's okay, but don't, go, don't get weary. Don't lose heart. You're doing good. It's ever so important. Or whether you're faithfully serving with Ruth on CAP or on the food bank and you think, oh man, it's just giving, giving, giving. It's important to find places to receive, but don't lose heart in giving. Because I'll tell you what happens is sometimes people lose heart and they say, oh, I'm just going to stop for a bit. And then, and then what happens is for about a week they feel great. And then, and then slowly, slowly something creeps in where you start going... A bit unfulfilling, <laughs> just like and why? Because we were made to pour ourselves out for people. You see, how can I do that? Here's how you do that. Next verse. How if you're feeling like <gasps> here's how, here's how, here's how. She's talking now. I went down to the nut orchard. What's she gonna say about that? <laughs> to look at the blossoms of the valley, to see whether the vines had budded, whether the pomegranates were in bloom. She is concerned with fruit. She's not concerned with busyness per se. She is concerned with fruit. I went down. I wanted to see, is the fruit coming? When the buds come, when the blossoms come, then comes the fruit. I'm interested in fruit. See, this is absolutely massive for the church. The church is called more than anything else to be fruitful. Jesus said, when you bear loads of fruit, my Father's glorified. So the Father being glorified and us being fruitful, are you cannot separate them. And so our destiny is fruitful good works. Our destiny isn't just do more. Sometimes you do have to pull back because you think, I'm just being pulled left, right and centre by people's persuasion or people's pressure to get me to do stuff or this or that or that email. That's, that's not necessarily fruitful. But when you realise I'm saved for good works... 
And then, Lord, I want you to show me where I should put my energies because I'm committed to good works. But I want to be fruitful. It's a fascinating thing. She says, I went, I went down. Now, she just went down. Maybe they were on a lower level. I don't know, physically. But there's something suggestive there. You know, in order to be fruitful, yet the roots go down, then the fruit comes up. You can't just be fruitful by doing good works. You'd be fruitful by abiding in Christ. You'd be fruitful by saying, do you know what? I'm willing to just let my roots go so down into him and let him build the root system of his presence and his word into me that I am just embedded in him. The fruit will come, brothers and sisters. It will. And so, sometimes when we're zealous for Christ, we want to quickly jump to this and jump to that, but not, not, not while we're not rooted in Christ. Not while we're just becoming busy. You will get to the end of yourself. You'll find out, I've not got it in me. But you're not supposed, he knows, we know. He says, apart from me, you can do nothing. You're just like a branch without me, a dried old branch. You know, you pull it off the tree. What are you going to do? Pull a tree? Imagine pulling a, tr- a branch off a tree. You take it home and you say, I'm going to put it on my windowsill because this is a cherry tree and I love cherries. And, and so I, I wanted to grow some cherries. So I pulled the branch off and I I'm, I'm put it on the windowsill and we're, we're just we're super excited. How did someone did that? You'd be excited for what? For, for cherries. But you've pulled the branch off the tree. Yeah, but it's a cherry branch. Well, yeah, but like, it was essential that it was connected for the fruit to come off. I mean, it's, that's pretty simple. Jesus says, I'm the true vine. You want to bear fruit, you've got to remain in me. You, if you don't, you're just like a branch that's withered up and thrown into the fire. So, the, so we've got to be... The, listen, any shortcut... I'll say this to you now. I've learned a long, a long lesson as someone who loves shortcuts on every level. Whether it's any, on any level, I love shortcuts. I'm all about, right? So that's me, okay? Temperament-wise, that's me. I've learned 90% of shortcuts are dead ends. 90%. A waste of time. You ever try and shortcut out in, around stuff to do with fellowship with Christ and fruit, it's a dead end. You'll come back, you'll just go, okay, fine. You'll be retracing your steps. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Fellowshipping with Jesus, spending time with him. <laughs> spending time with Jesus. I mean, we'll keep saying it. You say, I'm sure they might have said that last week. <laughs> yes, very insightful. We probably said it the week before as well. Why? Because you and us are all living in the same reality. We're branches. We're all living in the same reality. No one's, got, no one's got like special kind of, I don't know, dispensation. Yeah, and there's no special like, oh, it's so different. It's the same for all of us. I'm, I'm shocked. I am shocked by my own stupidity on this. I, I'm utterly shocked. Like, when will I learn? Anyone ever feel like that? When will I learn? I think I'm learning, but it's not, if it's slow. To abide in Jesus, things happen that you can't do. That's amazing to live there, in that place. Let me tell you this story. It's happened to me on Friday. I mean, this was just... I can't do that. Right? I was praying in the morning. It was deadly. It was like, this cannot be reaching heaven. It can't be. Like, no way are these prayers... Having any impact. At that point, you have a choice, right? You have a choice. So I thought, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep going. Now, praise the Lord. Right? So I'm sat in a chair, and I'm praying in tongues. 
I love that gift. If you want that gift, you want to talk about that gift, come talk to me. I'll pray for you. I love that gift. I don't know what I'm supposed to be praying. <laughs> I'm just praying. And I'm thinking, this is, this is as deadly as it was 10 minutes ago, but I'm just going to keep going. And it's pathetic. Everything about it, utterly pathetic. But I kept going. Then I went out, met a couple of people pastorally. Um, go to the toilet in this sort of building I was in, meeting people, washing my hands. Heard the door go behind me. So, so I called my someone, someone walked past behind me. Just, there's a, a big calling on that person's life. Bang. I mean, it was like catching a butterfly. It wasn't like, boom, it was like, oop. But it was like, that wasn't me. So I'm like, okay. So I wait outside the toilet block. <laughs> I've got to do something with him. If God's spoken, he comes out. says, excuse me, mate. He said, yeah. I said, are you a believer? I didn't know what to say. So I thought, are you a believer? He said, believer in what? He said, Christ. He said, well, what's the next question? Or what's the next thing? I said, well, this might sound a bit mad, but I was just washing my hands in the toilet. When you walked in, I just, felt, I just felt that you had a really big calling on your life. He said, yes, this is the strangest thing. He said, I'm a Hindu. But just today, I've been having a conversation with someone about Christ and calling. Wow. I mean, yeah, about Christ and calling. Uh, I, I was just wondering how people get, call, uh, get a call in. And he said, what do you think that was? And I said, the Holy Spirit. Yeah, now, that doesn't happen to me every day, all right? That was like, oh, I've got a new story. He's not three years old, you know, right? But, but I can't help. I don't think it's not a formula to it, but I can't help the, tracing it back. I spent some time with Jesus, do you know what I mean? And, and when it was hard... I kept going. And I think there's that thing where all the thoughts are coming in. This is a waste of time. This isn't going anywhere. You could be doing so much more useful stuff with your time. What happens at that point? You just, I just keep going because I, I do believe that scripture. <laughs> Apart from me, you can do nothing. And I really want to be fruitful. I don't want to be productive. I want to be fruitful. So, of course, it just blew the thing wide open. He's really happy to give me his email address and we can just... Develop the conversation, see what God's doing with him. It's wonderful. But you think, oh, Lord. So listen, let's just go down to the nut orchard together. Amen? Yeah. <laughs> when you read the scripture now, the rest of your life, you go, oh, I remember, it means something now. Let's go, down, let's go look for it. Where's the fruit? Because when you start looking for fruit, you have to go, I need to find Jesus. Because I can't find any fruit without Jesus. I just find a lot of nonsense, a lot of fluster, a lot of stress, a lot of activity but not much, not much that really is going to last into eternity. So, so that's what I love. She says, before I knew it, before I was aware, my desire, she's looking for fruit, my desire set me among the chariots of my kinsman, the prince. She's looking for fruit. Before she knows it, she's kind of, she's caught up with the prince and his chariots. It's like, you go looking for fruit, you find yourself in the purposes of God. Because it's like, oh wow, because that's where it goes. And that's what God wants for us, to be fruitful. So final thing, um, Verse 13, the others, whoever the others are, they're singing now. Return, return, O Shulamite, that's the lady. Return that we may look upon you. Right, so they just want to look at her again. They just, we just want to have another look. There's something about the church. You said, have another look. What's going on there? You know, I don't know if you experienced that. When I gather with you guys, and I, 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 I have the privilege of knowing many of you, and I admire so many of you. I admire so many of you. I, I know things that you're facing. I know your integrity. I know you, where you're trying to work things through with God. And I think, I just want to have another look. Can I have another look? 
wow, this is extraordinary. Me and Davina, you know, sometimes on a Sunday, we'll each other and say, well, how did this happen? How did this happen? There's a few people in the front room. What, what happened? We get, what? You just want to have another look. It's like that, isn't it, on the wedding day? You look at the groom, you go, yeah, fair enough, you know. And then, um, you know, but you look at the bride, you go, wow. I keep it funny around brides at weddings. I'm not supposed to, I'm a pastor, I'm supposed to be confident. Brides at weddings, I get a bit, I'm a bit like, oh, oh Davina, what do we do? You know, because it's like, look, I don't, I don't want to, I don't, I don't want to touch her in case my fingers make ruin her dress or something. You know what I mean? I'm like, she's amazing. Do you know what I mean? It's, that's, the, that's the bride. It's the church. You think, wow. You know, so even those of us who have responsibility leading, there's like a, whoa, okay, we've got a, this isn't mine. This is his. This is his people. We've got to tread carefully. We've got to learn how to look after each other well and be, you know, because it's holy. It's the bride. So let's, say, let's just have another look. And then he says, this is really, we'll end with this. Why, why should you look upon the Shulamite as upon a dance before two armies? Now, it's quite a strange sort of phrase, the, the dance of Mahanaim, which was a place in that sort of land. And, you know, people are trying to make sense of it. And, you know, I, I'm not pretending I can give you the, the full meaning of it. I can't. But I do think we've got to end just, just by saying two, two, two things um, on this. The, the first is... Um, is this, that uh, the bride in all of her glory and all, all of her good works and all of that, she's going to war. I touched on it earlier. She's going to war. And uh, her good deeds are a battle cry. Um, they really are. And you know, when the, when, the, when, when, when the church engages with this destiny, this is our destiny. It's not just what I do. This is, this is what we're made for, saved for. When we, when we do this, you know what we're doing? As we heard in Isaiah 61 last week, we are raising up the former devastations. We are repairing the ruined cities. That's what we're doing. When you bless someone in the name of Christ and serve someone in the name of Christ and, and, and sacrifice something for someone in the name of Christ, you are beginning to rebuild. You are beginning to restore things that have been ruined. I tell you, people's lives have been ruined in this city. Utterly ruined. Devastated by all kinds of darkness and uh, terrible abuses and uh, unbelief and just horrible, dark, dark, horrible things have ruined people's lives. And, and it's a mess. It's a mess. And for so many, many of us, you know, we've, we've experienced and are experiencing our lives being put back together by Jesus bit by bit. We think, oh, he's repairing me. He's, he's restoring me. Yes, yes, he is. That you might repair and restore. That you might say, you know what, I might, I'm no expert, but he's done something in me. And if I can just share it, God will own it. There's something about the church where there's that battle dance. You know, our good works are, are that. But the final thing also I would say, this, and this is, I want to end on this, is that there's also a real sense that both armies are in the church. Both, both armies are in you and in me. What I mean is, is that this side of glory... Being a Christian, as well as being wonderfully peaceful and wonderfully joyful and all of that, is also immense and intense struggle. Okay, because we're not over the Jordan yet. We've not got to the heavenly city yet. And the enemies are many. And they're not just outside, they're inside. We have to be real about it. We live with 
evil desires in our flesh. We live with, we live with things. You think, oh gosh, how can that still be in me? You know, I think after 26 years of being a Christian, how can I still think that? This is the reality, folks. There's a war between the flesh and the spirit. The environment is not neutral. The environment is, is the, the Bible says that the evil one is pulling the strings on our environment to try to kind of arouse and feed those fleshly desires more and more. There's a, there's a, there's, there's a battle going on in a believer. But you know what? Here's the thing. When people say to me, Pastor, I'm really struggling with this. I say to them, well done. Keep going. As long as you're still struggling, good on you. It's not wrong that there's a struggle. When you stop struggling, then we're worried. It's not wrong that there's a struggle, you know. And I, I'm pretty convinced that the Lord looks at us when we are, by, the, by, the, by his grace and by the Holy Spirit, putting to death the deeds of the flesh and, and taking holiness seriously. We're thinking, oh, it's a struggle. You know what? God's, God's looking and going, that is a dance. That is magnificent. And we're going, oh, Lord, have I still got it in me, you know? And, and we're crying out and we're texting our friends, pray, I'm struggling today, today's a bad day, you know? I'm, the temptations are fierce, I'm on fire on the inside, whatever it might be. We're like, oh, and the Lord is going, you're magnificent. Oh, look at you, wow. Because you never were in that place before you knew him. You were slave to sin then. But now you're free. You no longer have to jump when sin says jump. And you're living in the, you're coming into the newness of who you are in Christ. But you don't just walk away from the old. A, Jesus said every day you've got to pick up your cross. Every day you've got to say no to something in order to say yes to his kingdom. And God looks on that and he says, it's magnificent. <laughs> it's, it's magnificent. Let's, let's write a song about that. It's magnificent. I'm sure heaven says we've got a tune for that one. And the angels start, you know. Because it's like, you think, oh, I'm, just, I'm just kind of like limping through life. And the angels are going, yay, we've got a song about that. You think, well, it's, it's a dance. It's beautiful. It's stunning. That's the church. That's the church. Isn't she wonderful? She's stunning. She's glorious by the grace and by the blood of Jesus and by the washing of water by his word. We become more and more like him. Amen? Amen. Amen. We're going to just have a bit of time to... Oh, gosh. It, it, it was longer than I thought. We may not do that. Okay. What should we do? <laughs> Looking to Luke and Rich tell me. I want to just... You know, some of you that are kind of... You didn't know you were dancing. You thought you were, you thought you were in a bit of trouble, but it turns out you're dancing. This will almost encourage you in that. And just give you... Just bless you. Is that Okay. You just know, yeah, that's me, you know, kind of, I'm either hanging on or I'm limping or I'm, I'm under pressure or, you know, I'm, I'm burning up or I've been plunged into temptation, wherever it is, but I want to honor Jesus. Stand with you, I'd love to pray for you.